see how our numbers look. Let's see. Let's go ahead and say something. Something? Yeah. Say count count to three or something like that. <laughs> okay. One, two, three, four, five. Did that quite well. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So let's. It's like I've done it before. Let's go ahead and start recording. Okay. So. Um, welcome to uh, another one of our interviews. We've got a guest here today who's been involved in some unique ministries in the Portland area. And Steve Kimes is a pastor in the Pacific Northwest Mennonite Conference. And I'm going to let him describe uh, his ministry and how he uh, would describe it himself, because others probably can't describe it as well. So, Steve, would you like to describe what it is you do and while you do it. I think I think actually probably others probably could describe it better than I could. It, you know how it is you get too close to something and it can it, it, it ruins your perspective. You okay, know. well tell but me. It, tell I me. will try I will try my best. Let's hear okay. your damaged perspective. Okay, my damaged perspective is anyway, so what uh, what the main thing of what we're doing is we're working with the homeless in different areas uh, in Portland and if you wanted to sum her up summarize it up in just one phrase we're building community among the homeless that's what we do is we build community um we've uh, in uh, in the suburbs of of uh, portland and downtown we've been building community by helping people connect with each other and connect with others who might be able to help them to be able to reduce the stress in their lives so that way they can step up and help themselves to do what they need to do. In this last year, part of the community building that we've been doing is uh, to establish organized camps. So that way camps, uh, groups of homeless people will be living together and supporting each other, providing security for each other. Once again, reducing the stress uh, of their lives so that way they're <clears throat> able to step out and figure out how, how to live, <clears throat> how to live the life that they want to live and the steps that they personally need to take uh, to do that. And so in summary, that's probably what I would, what I would say that we're doing. So, so we call you a pastor, but you're also, it sounds like, and, and clarify and separate these terms, uh, community development, a community developer, it sounds like, cause you, you, you described yourself as creating community, mm -hmm. but not just a service provider, getting services mm -hmm. to folks who are in need of particular social services. It, it's, it's, it's more than that. And it's different than what most people think of pastoring, but it seems like it's also broader than community developer. Well, I would argue actually that every pastor, if they're doing their job correctly is a community developer. All right. That's what they are supposed to do. They're supposed to create a community, uh, ideally in the shape of Christ. Uh, it, each individual isn't necessarily, I mean, we're all supposed to, we're all called to be like Jesus. We're all called to, to act according to Jesus, but it's actually the community that is supposed to be uh, like Jesus, that is supposed to be out there acting like Jesus. And so every pastor, I feel like the definition of pastor is community developer. Um, we see that a lot more, let's say, in a uh, uh, in what would normally be called a church planter, a person who goes in and begins a church. While a lot of pastors, most pastors, are sustaining a community. Oh, there's a community already here. We're just going to keep it going. But I would say that actually every single pastor is supposed to develop a community. The community that is in a church, let's say 
at one year is going to be different in 20 years, uh, different in 50 years. And so there has to be community development that is happening to each one to make sure that the church is still uh, is still growing, is still uh, creating the church uh, that Jesus wants to see in that community that is not going to be the same church uh, 20 years before. There's a Thomas Merton quote um, <laughs> that, uh, that I uh, caught on just a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was, uh, he said, if your theology isn't different after 10 years, then you're not growing spiritually. And I think that goes the same thing with the church. If your theology is the same, if your church theology and your church community is the same as it was 20 years ago, then you're not growing in Christ because Christ is going to grow you not just as a unit, but in relationship to the growing uh, world and the growing community that's around us. So pastoring is community developing, that's developing right. communities. And social work. And now pick up the the... the I mean, there's a variety of social services. I mean, you're, you're working with a group of people who are uh, have an enormous amount of need in so many different areas of life, whether it's uh, clothing, nutrition, mental health care, health care, dental care, um, someplace to sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's developing community, but it's also providing for basic human need. We do some of that. Okay. But I'll tell you, the our our organization, our organization is not focused on meeting people's individual needs. All right. That's not what we do. Now, we, we started as a food ministry, which is, in a sense, food. Uh, we have a saying in Portland uh, on the street that says, if you go hungry in Portland, it's your own fault. There's a lot of food hmm. services. There's a lot of places that you can go uh, to get food every day of the week, uh, multiple times a day. There's still transportation involved, but still right. you can you can get there. But we use food as a sense as a as a way to invite people into community, okay. as a way to say, okay, here's our food, here's our showers, here's our clothes. We invite you to come in, and we invite you to experience our community and see if you want to be a part of it. And so we get people, for instance, who come to our place. They're just out of prison. And they have what we call prison mentality. And so they feel like they've got to fight for everything. And anyone who disrespects them, they're going to get in their face and they're going to threaten them or those sorts of things. And so we get those people coming to our community uh, because our community has some basic needs that, that they can meet that other places aren't going to be able to help them with. So they come to the community and then they start with that kind of response to people and they're just in each other's faces and all that. But what, what we do is we train peacemakers, which mm. are both homeless and non-homeless folks who go around and just say, Hey, okay, let's, let's talk about this. Let's work on this. Let's find out what, what's going on uh, with you here or, or separate people. So there's not a fight or things like that. So we train these folks to be peacemakers. And then over a period of time, and usually it's like within a week of people continually to come and all that, they begin to change. They begin to react differently to people. They begin to see that there are other ways of dealing with their issues or to deal with disrespect or to deal with all of that. They realize that there's other ways to deal, more successful ways than what they've been dealing with in prison. 
or in a camp or whatever else. Um, and then that becomes infectious. Hmm. That becomes a different way for people to, to respond right. uh, in the community at large. There, there's an assumption, I would think, that living a homeless lifestyle is dangerous. There's numerous vulnerabilities. Uh, and and uh, number one would be fear of others. So in the communities you're creating, you're trying to not only minimize potential for uh, violence or competition for these scarce resources, but broaden that out to actual peacemaking, not just helping people get by, but actually to flourish in this, in this, in this community. That's right. That's right. To make uh, originally what we wanted to do is we wanted to create connection between the, the housed community, uh, which we politely call housies. Those are the housies. All right. Okay. So you're a housie. We accept you as a housie and that's okay. It's okay to be a housie. It's good to have a name. It's, it's nice. Yeah. You know, it's good to, good to know what category you're yeah. in. Um, anyway, so, so we have the housies and then we have the houseless. Right. And, and our original idea was to create a bridge, a, a, a station where the housies and the houseless can connect with each other and they can, they can meet together and, and resources can happen. I mean, for instance, uh, let me just ask you, what, what do you think uh, some of the main causes of homelessness are? Well, you mentioned one coming out of jail. You know, okay. Maybe not finding ways to fit into the flow of society. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health and not being able to get access to appropriate resources. Um, okay, yeah. People, people living a debted, indebted lifestyle, consumeristic lifestyle, and all of a sudden the bottom falls out and now they've got more debts than they have assets and losing jobs or whatever else, losing some of those kinds of mm-hmm. things. And along with those, I would assume no social or family network to help support one another and lift each other up. Those are some of those things. Right. And that actually, that last one. Okay. So I want to, you know, just when you look at, at causes of homelessness, you're going to see a lot of the things that you mentioned, whether it be prison or mental health uh, addiction, which is actually one of the smallest ones, um, uh, losing your job, being evicted, uh, you know, uh, abuse, uh, being kicked out of your family, all of these kinds of, of things are, are major issues. But, the only thing that every homeless person has in common, the one cause of all homelessness is a lack of a support network. Wow. wow. That's the only yeah. one is that, that everyone has in common is that you don't have a support network to help you when you get into a crisis. Okay, so let's say you can think of people who have mental health issues, but they've never been homeless. Why? Because they've got family and friends who are helping them to to get along. You know of people who are addicts, severe addicts, really crazy people, but they didn't become homeless. Why? Because they have family and friends who are going to support them and take them to treatment or whatever. Um, So the very even or people who don't have jobs or people who get evicted or on and on. None of these things are actually causes of homelessness. They are crises that happen that can lead to homelessness. The only cause of homelessness for every single person is not to have a support network. So our idea was let's well, back down. Stop that. Okay. I, I took the cup away, so we're safe. Okay, so the so the only thing that is actually a cause of homelessness right. is not having people to help you in a crisis. That's the only cause. So we thought, okay, so let's create a place where where we can get people who have resources 
connecting with people who don't have resources. Um, But we found out that there's a bigger problem, which is that there is a social gap between the people who have resources and those who don't have resources, the social gap that is filled in with prejudice. So there's, 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 there's this cultural social disconnect Mm -hmm. and misunderstanding or assumptions or exactly, exactly. So there's all the assumptions. So we find out that we have to actually spend some time training everyone about the assumptions that people have uh, about homelessness. I have to train, by the way, both houses and homeless uh, and houseless on this. Um, to, uh, so for instance, now we're going to get, I, I'm going to bring up studies. Okay. So I just want to apologize <laughs> if anybody wants to fall asleep, you can do that, but I think it's really interesting, but okay. So, but, uh, Dr. Susan Fisk, um, she's a sociologist. You're looking around. Oh, I'm just trying oh, to remember the name. Susan I know the name. Fisk. I know the name. Susan Fisk. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, she's a, she's a very important sociologist. Yeah. And she did, uh, she and her colleagues did a big study with MRIs, because if you're a sociologist, you have to put people in an MRI machine. And the the whole thing was to talk about different social groups. And I won't get into the details, but her conclusion was the interesting thing that at this point in time, your average American places the homeless in a different place than any other group, that they are at the far end of the discussed spectrum. Hmm. that when you see this is her quote when you when an average american looks at a homeless person they see a pile of garbage they do not see a human being they see a big huge amount of disgust wow and the problem is is that so for most of us we will work on that and we'll overcome that uh, maybe we won't even think about it, but we'll just go. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to think about a homeless person that way. So I'm going to think about them a different way. But for a lot of people, they all they see is that pile of disgust, and with that disgust comes fear, and comes anger, and comes all of these other things. And then next thing you know, they're calling the police and trying to deal with it. So people need to understand. Number one, almost every American has this disgust, even me. When I first started working with the homeless, uh, when I saw two homeless people talking together, I would think, oh, maybe they're doing a drug sale. You know, why do I think that? Why do I not think that they're human beings that might be talking about normal human being things like, you know, the ball game or where they're going to sleep that night or something like that? The uh, uh, and so we and so we have to train people. You know, homeless people are not disgusting. Homeless people are people. Right. And we have to train the homeless that too. So they treat each other in a different way. They treat that- each other differently than they would treat other people. They're more likely to give respect to a housey than to another houseless person. Wow. And the reason is, yeah. is because it is cultural. It is completely pervasive within our culture to look at a homeless person and say, that person is is a disgusting person. That person is a pile of garbage. So they're, so even houseless people are more likely to judge other houseless people than they are a housed person. The, if you're a houseless person, the only, uh, the only person that you might judge more than a houseless person is a police officer. But that's another story. Okay. So I, I want to I backtrack in, in uh, a bit is just then as you were, um, talking about these cultural or social assumptions and kind of differences. 
you mentioned when you first mm -hmm. started. And so how did you get into this? I mean, so I've known you for about 17, 16, 17 years, and you've always been a pastor working with phones, folks without homes. That's just who you are. But I'm assuming you have a life that went previous to that. So there, how, there was a did, there did, was a did, there was a pH before houseless that there, so, that there was a time there was. Yeah. So but, how, how did you, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into this? Why why this? Why here? I mean, just wow. Well, I grew up in Southern California. The just uh, when I in in uh, I grew up as non-churched in Southern California. Uh, became uh, got involved in fundamentalism ended up becoming uh, a missionary went to india uh, for a period of time and had my eyes opened about about poverty in the world because uh, i grew up in in uh, in the 80s one of the uh, one of the wealthiest places uh, in california um and so i learned about poverty and learned about all that night and, and i ended up seeing poverty when when I came back, I saw my own wealth and I saw. So poverty. your eyes were open and to eyes see home or the home to see the United States culture in a different different way. To light. see that in a different way. Now, of course, for me, it was third world versus the United States. Right. The United States, you know, everybody lives on X level, and in in uh, Calcutta and and Bangladesh and uh, Delhi, then they're going to live at a different level. Right. Okay, and then uh, and then. We ended up the the whole missionary door ended up being closed, uh, so we didn't end up becoming missionaries. And so I, you know, just was working and doing normal things, and I couldn't do normal things. I just couldn't really deal with that. So instead, I started writing pamphlets about how the church needs to be helping the poor, and I would hand them out in in front of churches as people were going into church every Sunday. Um, and so that way people would just, you know, think, oh, maybe I should be helping the poor. And so because I come from a fundamentalist background, handing out tracts is awesome. You know, everyone <laughs> wants to hand out tracts. And isn't it great? Somebody, you know, we really need to be handing out more tracts to churches. Don't you think? You know, people should be standing in front of churches. Forget about going out in the public. No, people need to be standing in front of churches and handing out tracts there, you know, because turnaround <laughs> is fair play. Anyway, so uh, so that's what I was doing. I was handing out these tracts. And then I'm just like, oh. And I, one day I decided to hand out a track in front of one uh, uh, one congregation. And hi there. Hello. Um, so I decided to hand out uh, tracks in front of one congregation, which is a um, uh, which it turned out to be a uh, prosperity doctrine church. I didn't know that when I went to hand out. Uh, the track. So I went there and wow, I got a very negative response, especially because the track that I decided to hand out today, that day uh, was bad news to the rich. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is serious. This is what really happened. So I, I was handing out the track, bad news to the rich, this prosperity doctrine people and people weren't happy about it. And they asked me to leave and I didn't because it was public space. And anyway, so there was conflict and uh, anyway, so after that whole incident, I went over and I was just praying that day and said, okay, well, you know, Lord, actually, it's funny because I'm telling churches that they need to help the poor, but right now I'm not doing anything. I'm not helping the poor. I'm not doing anything like that. I have in the past. 
and I plan in the future, but I'm not doing anything right now. And so I said, well, Lord, you know, how about if I just met like a homeless person or something and maybe we can invite them to dinner once a week or something like that. How about if we do that? And, and uh, then my prayer was done. That evening, my wife and I were getting on the bus to go to, uh, to go to a Bible study and a homeless man came up and approached us and told uh told us his story and all of that and so we were just like we'd already talked about having having some homeless folks over for dinner and so we so we gave him our phone number and address and gave it to him and said hey uh why don't you uh we're going to be going somewhere else tonight but why don't you come over tomorrow night and have dinner with us and oh great that'd be wonderful great so uh so he uh he agreed to come over and have dinner uh, dinner with us the next night that night no, the next morning, two o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call. It's a bar. It's a local bar. And the local bar is the bartender is saying, hey, we've got this guy here and he's uh, and we have to close and he has to get out. But he, he's got no place to go. And I checked his pockets and the only address he has is yours. Can I put him in a taxi and send him to your place? Um... Um, sure. Why not? So he came to our place and he yelled and screamed all night because he has PTSD in his sleep. And he, uh, and we, that was our introduction to homeless work. And we invited him to come over to dinner that night. And he came over to dinner that night. And, uh, and that went on for a few days. And then he came over to dinner with a friend. And that went on for a few days. And then they brought another friend. And pretty soon we were having like 10 people in our two-bedroom apartment having dinner with us uh, uh, every night. And we did that for two years. And we said, okay, well, we're, we've got this missionary training. And we understand that you have to listen to understand people's people's language and people's culture so we need to spend some time learning folks homeless folks language and culture before we did anything that we thought would be ministry and so we so we sat and we invited homeless folks to our home every night for two years uh, listening to their stories listening to what they're doing before we felt like we could actually minister or help them in any way so how long after that did you land in portland Start. That was Portland. Okay, that so was then, Portland. So, so I went to Bible school in Portland, and we okay. we just happened to be there. That's just where we were settled right. at that. Point. And then, and then, and then, and then did Anawim start after out of that after that two year period? Yeah, after okay. the two year period, and then we listened and said, "What are people's needs? What is it that they need?" Okay. And they they needed locations to be, and they needed. Uh, they needed a, a place to connect, uh, to have community, and they needed to be able to build community because they were so angry at the world and angry at each other, and they needed to be able to build community. And so that's that's what we we so, established. Now, Anawim. Oh, you're had, using had, that word again. Yeah, Does anybody say, know what Anawim means? I was going to ask you okay. to describe the, what Anawim is, what it means, how you use it, why you use it, what is what. I, uh, I just want to say just at the onset that no one fresh out of seminary should ever uh, be allowed to choose their own church name. <laughs> that just uh, it might come out as Greek or Hebrew. Or almost, yeah. you know, there's there is a there is a possibility that it'll be Greek or Hebrew right. and that should never happen. I have a I have a friend of mine and he he named his church. Uh, 
ecclesia, except it's not ecclesia. It says, no, 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 pronounce it ecclesia. Really? So you want it to pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everyone in the church is trained to, to pronounce it ecclesia. Okay, so, so fine. I have a friend who's finishing seminary right now who named her cat Calais. Just saying, it does seem to be a little addictive. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, people need to tone these people down. They're kind of crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think they actually have just a little too much power, and it gets to their head. Too, too much. Yeah, well, it, you know, church planters, too much power. To them. But also, if you if you uh, jump into a foreign language, immerse yourself, everything. Yeah. It spills over. It it does. It does. So. It's horrible. You know, it's a good thing that the first language I learned was sign language, and that made that calmed it down. Quite What's a the name bit. of your church? Yeah, exactly. I'm doing hand signs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so Anomi. Yeah. Anomi is the name of our congregation still, um, and it's on the 501c3, so we're not changing it anytime really soon. Um, but Anomi is a Hebrew word, and uh, the full meaning, it's usually translated the poor, but the full meaning is the poor or the outcast seeking the Lord for deliverance, because wow. that's the context that it's always used in. Uh, and so... We uh, so, for instance, uh, it is used in uh, Psalm 37, uh, 37 11, which says, The Anawim, uh, uh, the Anawim shall inherit the earth, which is where Jesus hold his thing. The, the meek shall inherit the word. The word meek mm -hmm. is the word Anawim, poor or outcast, not people who act meek, but people who right, are not the modest, not the modest, but those rejected from society, right? Okay, and so. Uh, and so that's the whole idea. And if, if there was a passage that our, uh, that our church is built on, it's really the Beatitudes. Uh, you know, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people use blessed are the poor in spirit. The Luke version says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that's kind of what we take on is that God isn't just looking for people who... Uh, want to act humbly, because of course we all know how hu how humble Jesus was. Jesus, he he never spoke about himself. No. He always always kept himself down. He never put himself out there. Nobody yeah. ever knew he was there. Just he was, you know, wouldn't 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 right wouldn't right. what uh, bruise a broken reed kind of a thing or, um, but uh, but actually the what were I wonder why they killed him then. I know. Uh, gee. I know. How'd he was such know? a nice guy. How they even know he was around? Yeah, you know. Um, the uh, so I've now I've forgotten what I was saying. What I was talking about. Okay, so Anuim, uh, uh the Beatitudes. That's right. right. So the whole thing about the Beatitudes is Jesus is saying the community of people that God is looking for are people who are outcast, people who are rejected by the normal mainstream of society. Uh, and so it made sense for us to go to the houseless because the houseless as a group uh, are rejected. According to Dr. Susan Fist, they're rejected more than any other group uh, that she had studied in, uh, in our society. Tell me a little bit about what does it mean? What, 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 what is church like when you gather for worship? That's a fair question. Um, so uh, for one church in our congregation is not quiet. 
that's probably the biggest one of the biggest differences one of the biggest things in fact people would uh people would say that our uh, from if you can contrast it to a uh, to your average church service we are very chaotic there's lots of things going on and people interrupting and people talking and and uh and that's all good so not noisy like a charismatic pentecostal fellowship or no, a bunch of stuff yeah, not loud chaotic okay because everybody's kind of doing a little bit of their own thing and so trying to get a worship service is a little bit like herding cats okay um so but but uh so we'll have uh, we'll have singing we have bible reading we have uh the the only thing that we hand out is a piece of scripture that everybody can take with them that has uh it has uh, an old anabaptist concordance can I use that word concordance? Go is that okay? If nobody knows what it is, they can look it up. Okay, <laughs> um, but we hand out a, a old concordance with just a, a number of scriptures based on a theme that are around a theme. Uh, we hand those out and we read those and, and we have our singing and then when we have the sermon, uh, when I do uh, when I do a sermon, everyone is allowed to interrupt, to to speak what they want to speak to talk back to me to tell me how how wrong i am uh and uh, and that's how the uh that's how it goes and then we sing the benediction so does that does that interaction during the during the sermon ever get interesting <laughs> <laughs> you think yeah sometimes it gets, it gets very interesting you get people who um uh i've had i had somebody one time stand up uh, in the middle of a in the middle of a sermon, stand up, go right into my face and scream in my face about how wrong I was and how he was going to he was going to hit me in the face because he couldn't believe the, of the things that I was saying. And you simply said, "Thank you for your input." <laughs> well, I asked him. I, I I wanted to make sure that he had finished what he wanted to say, and then I asked him to sit down, and then he sat down. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so now that doesn't happen in most congregations <laughs> and yet and yet i think that it might be good for a lot of congregations for these kinds of things to happen that's interesting um yeah i mean no i i i think that it's not for everybody right. uh it's uh it isn't even for it isn't for most a lot of homeless people either um but uh it's really a uh, a form of congregation that we that we developed uh, so that way people can not only feel participatory, but especially for people who don't participate in community, for people who don't have the opportunity to participate in community, that they have a say. They have something they can do. And we don't just do that in worship either. I mean, we have, for our church meetings, we we uh, get all the people who are involved, uh, houseless and houses, everybody's uh, everybody who's involved, and then they make the decisions about how about the next thing that we're going to do or the changes that we need to make. Um, we have community meetings where we talk about uh, what it is that uh, that the houseless want uh, in uh, want to have developed in the community, so that way they have a say uh, to do that. It is all about participation because for the most part houseless people mentally ill people don't get a voice mm -hmm. uh, so we make a big production of you know if you don't get a voice you're going to get a voice here 
one of the things that seems to be the case, and I'm not sure if it is, but Portland seems to be a place where issues around homelessness seem to be, there's just a lot of press about Portland, almost more than, yeah. almost more than some of the other, you know, metropolitan cities across the United States. Um, I know there's some different laws and, or lack of laws around things like rent controls and other kinds of, you know, housing related issues. But it, it seems like there's, is there, is there a particular issue that makes homelessness and issues in Portland different than other places? Or is it pretty much uh, the same in every metropolitan area? Is there something unique here? Well, I think there's a couple things. I mean, when you go to... Hello? I love his voice. Library. How are you? <laughs> they might call back. I don't know. It's a, it's a good thing we got editing here. That's all I can say. You know the. So yeah, is, is Portland okay. is Portland any different or is there unique? Um, I think there there's two things that Portland is is different. So you've got you've got homelessness in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco, and people pretty much understand that those huge cities are going to have X number of homeless. And that's relatively accepted. Now, whether the solutions that are happening, there's a lot of discussion about what solution is better. But there isn't about a lot of discussion about the existence of homelessness. Right. That's pretty much, pretty much accepted. But in Portland, actually, even though we have a smaller number of homeless, we are one of we have one of the largest per capita uh, homeless populations. And so, it's interesting that the governor of Oregon just went through Portland recently uh, with some changes in laws and saw all the camps and saw all of the, uh, all the different people that were out there. And they're like, and she was just like, Oh, there's a lot of homeless people here because she could see them. Right. And I think that's one of the big differences uh, in Portland. We have a lot of green space, but we also have a lot of homeless folks who just like, this is where I'm camping, and yes, it happens to be right near a freeway, and everyone's going to see me, but why should I hide? Right. What have I got to hide? Nobody's watching me use or drink or, or anything like that. I do that in my tent. The only thing that they're ashamed of is that I'm homeless. So why should I hide that? Anyway, so I think, and the fact is, is that there are plenty of neighbors and all of that that are ashamed, not just ashamed, they are offended by the by the visible existence of homeless. They're, homeless folks are what I call public the public poor. The so, people who we see are poor. We don't mind having poor people as long as we can hide them. But once they're seen, then we have a problem with them. So, so Portland has a unique ability, if they if people of Portland want to do it, to see the homeless people because of the green spaces, because of all the parks that are around, and because of the camps that, that emerge. So in your part of Gresham, there's been some camps. And or, Gresham is a suburb of Portland. Right, right. Yeah. And so there, there's been some camps. There's been some conversation, should I say, with the Gresham city authorities. We Well, how's that gone? <laughs> it, the conversation is more recent. It's, it came after a period of yelling and, okay. and things like that. The uh, So 
so after for the last uh, for the last twenty years, every day I would hear at least one person or many people tell me the same story. And the story is the police came up to me. They gave me twenty four hours, five minutes, two days to move. And I have to I have to get all of my stuff together and I have to move. And so I'm not going to be able to eat or or anything for the next couple days until I take care of this. This is a story that I've heard for 20 years. Um, and I mean, think about it if it was your congregation. And you're the pastor of a congregation, and every day for 20 years you heard the same story of oppression that the that the broader community was specifically oppressing your congregation. There was a period of time that police officers would go around uh, the church in order to find the homeless people who were going in coming to church, so that way they could. Uh, they could check them and see if they have warrants and if they did they would take them away so if you came to church you were you were being threatened to be arrested it's almost like the church became a uh, a concentrated group of people who were being targeted yeah yeah we were an, an easy population for for harassment yeah and and you know we develop or we we basically made sure that the police who came on our property followed the same rules that everybody else did which meant there's no violence and no threats uh of harm going to happen at our congregation and so if a police officer came on and started insulting people or started threatening people um i would go up to the police officer and say i'm sorry you're not allowed to do that here this isn't acceptable activity here nobody does threats and pretty soon it got to be known by all the cops that we do not welcome police officers. This has never been, never been true. We've always welcomed police officers. We just don't we don't welcome threats right. um, by anybody. And so, uh, uh, and uh, it came around that uh, the in different neighborhood associations that we were targeted as as the place where uh, where criminal activity was happening we on our church grounds there was prostitution and drug sales and uh and all this kind of drug use and all that none of that is true that's why we have peacemakers to go around the whole the whole perimeter and make sure that those kinds of things don't happen um anyway and so when in listening to the stories and and listening to the target group and listening to my congregation again and again be oppressed uh, and realizing after 20 years that nothing had actually changed. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, this is, this is something has got to be done. We've got to do this. So I got together with some friends who were activists and said, we need to develop a group among the homeless who are going to be able to speak out for themselves. Um, so we started meeting the homeless and started talking about homeless rights a little bit about what they can and cannot do and we decided that we were going to go to city council uh, and talk to them especially because the mayor of the city without actually going through any due process decided that he was going to fence off 60 acres of property where a lot of homeless people lived um, and he made it he he even though he was saying there were some environmental concerns, he was number one saying, we need to move these homeless people out. He said that in his uh, State of the City speech. And so, but th this was a, a, an overreach as far as if he intended to keep out the homeless, 
there was no ordinance that said that he could do that. In fact, but if there was an environmental issue damaging the land, he could then he could protect that. Exactly, okay. exactly. And in fact, actually, if it was specifically about homeless, Oregon state law prohibits any city from prosecuting the homeless for being homeless or for camping right. on public property. So they couldn't do that. So they had to change the property. Right. Okay, so they had they wanted to change the property. They put a fence around the property. Then they found out that they hadn't done all the legal all the filled all the legal loopholes. So they were doing a vote. The vote was not uh, was not advertised. The vote was not put to the public. But we found out about it, and we decided that we were going to do what we could to let the homeless have a voice. So. So we wanted to do two things. First of all, we wanted to be heard. And second of all, we wanted to see if the vote could be delayed until the issues could be dealt with. And especially uh, houseless folks could maybe be given a place to sleep instead of just pushed away out of the city. So we went to uh, a, a number of us, uh, houseless and housed, uh, went to uh, the city council and we were able to express our opinion and the city council uh, a lot gave us time and then they uh, they expressed their opinion which is that the city isn't doing anything wrong with the houseless that they were perfectly they were perfectly justified to do everything that they were doing and then they were getting ready to vote and then we stood up and we chanted we chanted loud enough so that way they couldn't take the vote the city council stood up went out of the room and then they had us all arrested well, they had seven of us arrested, seven of us who were leading, leading the chanting. Uh, we got arrested. And so as far as I know, I'm the only person, me and my friends are the only ones who have ever been arrested for chanting. Um, but is that, is that what the, uh, the warrant said? Chanting in public? I or, wish. Uh, that would have been great, you know, unlawful chanting. Uh, you know, chanting, chanting uh, with the intent chanting with the intent to change people's minds I, I i'm not really evangelistic chanting anyway but but uh, we ended up getting a disorderly conduct too disorderly conduct too misdemeanor anyway and that hasn't gone to trial yet uh, and so because it's going to be messy so uh so we're still working on that but uh but yeah i mean the thing for me is i'm wondering now if other pastors, if they saw their congregation oppressed and targeted for oppression, if they wouldn't have maybe not waited for 20 years, right. if they would have done this kind of action sooner. Um, and, and because we did this action, all of Gresham is turned upside down. That whole community is now they're they're starting to look at homelessness in a different way because we brought it to the forefront. Before it was just a quiet little oppression that they would do in in uh, in the background and nobody really had to talk about it very much. And now everybody's talking about it and and the angry people are standing up and being angry and the people who are not so angry are are. Uh, are saying what they need to say and the and the city is talking about it and they're hiring people to to and the even the police are changing the whole way that they're uh, that they're approaching the homeless and all of this is because we decided that we were going to step up and and say something and do something one of the one of the things i, I think it'd be interesting to hear about so so just just then you're describing gresham everybody's speaking joining into this conversation mm -hmm. um 
one of the things that you've done on on the Facebook page for for Red Barn Auto Weem is occasionally tell the stories of of homeless families, some of the people who come there. How do they speak for themselves? What do they have to say? Can you tell a story about someone just to give to get out of the abstraction? Give a story of someone speaking for themselves, or a story a so, story so, of somebody who's been who's experienced you know community who has you know it's either a place where they come and they find safety, security, sanctuary. It's a place that helps them transition if they want to transition, or just you know they then somebody who didn't have that safety net or that network and now they've got people i mean just who who who, who has that happened for just anyone okay well i, I i'm going to tell a story that kind of gives two sides to it so there's a gal uh named uh, eugenia and her son uh, her son's name is aaron aaron has got a uh, uh has got a drinking issue um she's uh eugenia is severely disabled uh she walks in a walker uh, and uh, she has to have oxygen, so she carries that with her. And uh, in her walker, she has two little dogs that that she puts in the pocket uh, of the walker, and she walks around with them. And she's a very slow walker, so so uh, so it's very difficult for her to get around. But she had worked within the system. Uh, she's uh, she's on disability, so she was certainly qualified for housing, but she was on a waiting list because everyone who gets housing has to be on a waiting list. So she'd been waiting for six months uh, to get housing while she's disabled in a walker on the street. Um, and so she found a way to, to basically work her life so that way she could get to churches, my church and some others, uh, so she could get a meal and get and relax. And so a lot of times she would go to our church and she would sleep or she'd get a meal or she'd be able to just sit and relax and be a human being uh, at that time. And her son would come and visit her, make sure that he was just really focused on her, make sure that he was going to be he, he was there to take care of her and get her anything that she needed. And she was able to get cleaned up and get some clothes uh, at our facility and meet people. And my wife actually spent quite a bit of time with her, just sitting down and talking with her and me, all that. Um, and then she came one day to our facility and she was literally shaking. She was sitting at the table. She had to put her hands on the table because she couldn't couldn't sit still and uh, she wanted to talk to me and I went over and she and she told me that the place that she had been sleeping which was a local barber shop and the the owners had given her permission to sleep on the property of the barber shop but that an officer had come and told her that uh, she needed to leave she needed to leave uh, within two days and that he didn't want to see her in the city again, that he, she was excluding her from the city. And I told her, he can't do that legally. Did he give you a piece of paper that says you're excluded from the city? And she says, no. And I said, see, that, that's, just, that's just harassment. He, he can't do that. But what she knew that he could do is that if, she, if he saw her in the city, then he could arrest her he could ticket her if she was ticketed she would spend a week all day all day just trying to get it taken care of she would lose a week and and have difficulty even with her son helping her she'd have difficulty just eating and sleeping if she just got a ticket because she moved so slow so so i told her really 
this is nothing to worry about. He can't do anything to really harm you. It, it's You're going to be okay. But she was scared to death. So from that point on, she would sleep overnight outside of Gresham, but still come to the churches during the day. So that way she could receive uh, services and food and, and clothing and all that. So she went back and forth and then, and that lasted for about, uh, for about uh, a month. And then she came to our facility and she just, she looked horrible. She just really, she was all pale. She was, uh, she was shaking and, and I went up to her and I said, would you like us to take you to the hospital? Cause you really don't look very, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I just need to sleep. I just, I just need to sleep and I'll be fine. And so I said, well, if that's what you want, you know, and there weren't any, anything to indicate that, that she was in danger in any way. Um, but that night she was, she walked away from our facility about a quarter mile. Uh, and then she, uh, she couldn't walk anymore. So she laid down to go to sleep and she died that night. Um, less than a month later, her son got the housing that they had applied for. Um, that happened, that happened last year. Uh, the thing is, is that we can provide community, we can provide safety, we can do so much, but there's only so much that we can do for an oppressed people, especially when people don't recognize that they're oppressed. There's only so much we can do. Um, and I'll probably, I would probably say that what happened to her is probably the reason why I switched from being from just being a community builder into being a community activist and, and chanting in city hall and all that, because no one deserves that to happen to them. No one does. And, you know, she was not a person, she was not any kind of a bad person. She was not a criminal. If she tried to steal from you, then uh, she, she'd be so slow that you could walk up to her <laughs> and take it away from her. Okay. Uh, she was a person in need that was, uh, that was oppressed and abused and harassed by the people who should have helped her. Um, and those of us, those of us on the sidelines, we could only do so much. Um, and I don't ever want to see that happen. So I want to move this in a couple different directions and start winding some things up. But one question before we get to the last series of four standard questions that we ask. Um, so how do you, how do you take care of yourself? Because the home, my hunch about the homeless communities, they're not just Monday through Friday and you get weekends off. Uh, no, <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know that. Well, they, and they, I'd say that's a lot. That's for a lot of pastors. I mean, okay. you know, uh, if right. you care about a community, it's twenty four seven, right? Right. Yeah. But if you're also if you're also helping housing and and tracing people all over, your parish is maybe larger than a lot of other people's as well. Right? It could be. I mean, yeah. so how do you how do you how do you keep at it? What, what, what do you do for yourself? Um, uh, my wife says that I don't take care of myself, uh, that uh, other, others say that too. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard, I've heard others say that. Um, uh, 
and I and and I will say that it's it, it in a sense it's a struggle. Uh, it's a struggle to uh, uh, to minister to an oppressed community because the needs are always there, and it's not just like not just like Pastor, I really need to talk to you. No, it's more like uh, it's more like uh, Pastor. This, there's this horrible disaster. Or we're in the middle of a flood, or something like that, and we need help right now. Okay, all right. Well, I guess I better get up and do that. Um, so, uh, so it's a, uh, so it's a real, it's a real need. And on the one hand, I, I I recognize that in my life, I'm still working on trying to achieve balance, uh, trying to obtain some some level of balance, trying to get more people in to help trying to, uh, so not just doing everything myself. Uh, I'm, uh, I use uh, movies as downtime when I can. Uh, and I will, uh, and then more recently, uh, as part of my spiritual discipline, I've been doing a lot of meditation. Uh, I've been using the Shema and the Lord's Prayer. Uh, is Shema a technical term? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, using the Shema and the Lord's Prayer uh, as inroads into meditation and, and having time of silence with God. And I've been doing that every day, and that really helps. Um, uh, and what I need to do more is I need to have more time off. Uh, so that way I'm not just doing this all the time, but I'm also, I'm also taking uh, days or weeks to, to take time off and that's probably the thing that I'm I'm lacking the most uh, and so but I would say that uh, that achieving balance uh, in pastoral ministry in general but also in uh, uh, but also in working with the houseless is a uh, it's a process uh, and it's something that we have to uh, that we're gonna have to constantly work on and it requires a lot of imagination to be able to fit uh, to fit real rest in between the crisis. Right now in general, I, I deal with adrenal fatigue. I talked to you about that mm -hmm. yesterday and and I really like your uh, your response to that that uh, whenever I have downtime that maybe I should just volunteers an EMT and that would that would help level out my uh, my life. Um, my wife rolled her eyes at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> stay, just stay in the stay in the crisis moment. Yeah. Just stay, just stay in crisis, you know. But um, anyway, and so, uh, so I guess it's just a uh, this is just a process. Okay. It's something something that uh, that I still don't know how I, achieving balance is something I still don't know how to do well. But I'm working on it now, so that's a that's, that's a good thing. That's good. So our four standard questions. Okay. What are you drinking? What are you watching? Or reading and uh, well those are two different questions what are you watching what are you reading it can be also what are you listening to in particular music and uh, if we came to your part of town where would we go to eat okay all right what am I drinking tea I drink tea I a drink a type um, I drink iced tea I mean I like uh, I you know, just as a, a splurge every once in a while, then I'll like have Earl Grey or, or Darjeeling, but that's, that's special. No, I mean, just every day, just a black tea, red rose, you know, English breakfast tea that I cook up in a, uh, in a pitcher with warm water. And, uh, and then I, 
I drink tea. I drink about a gallon of tea a day, and I'm uh, watered down tea a day, and that's that's what I drink. Sounds good. Um, I I am I'm one of the few people that you could say really is a teetotaler because I don't actually drink anything else. Wow, total. Uh, total. Total tea guy. It's immersion. Tea immersion is is what I'm gonna call it from now on. Sounds good. So okay. So um, what what are you watching? Or listening to, or answer both. Okay. But you mentioned movies already. And I did I, mention. I, I know. Movies. I know you're a movie guy. I I do. I you know. In fact, actually, I have a blog where I post movie reviews or movie analyses. Uh, so I do watch a lot of movies, uh, mostly like art or foreign movies. But I also like the Marvel movies and all of those. But if right now, right at the moment, uh, what I'm watching. Uh, what I what I watch when I'm especially tired is uh, is I'll watch uh, particular TV shows that I really like like um, uh, like Gilmore Girls or uh, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or uh, because these are really good Mennonite shows yes they are you yeah. know they're really and West Wing West Wing too <laughs> I watch West Wing I like really like West Wing you know and if, when I'm really when I'm really worn out then I just go back to Avatar the Last Airbender because that's the ultimate. That's that is the great TV show all of right. all time. Anyway, anything particular to listen to, or um, you mean musically? Yeah. I, you know, the funny thing is, is that I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts, uh, uh, film spotting. Uh, this Amer- I listen to This American Life. I listen to the Canon, which uh, talks about you know top movies, and uh, I listen to uh, 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 what's another one that I anyway. So, uh, uh, but I'd like, I also like to listen to stories. I, okay. I, I, I listen to a lot of story podcasts. Oh, Invisibilia. Awesome podcast. Have you heard that one? It's on my list. Oh, really good. Yeah. I highly recommend that one. They, they don't do enough of them and I understand that they're expensive to produce, but wow, they're it's really good. Um, uh, music, uh, when I'm writing or something, I'll listen to a lot of Radiohead. Uh, but uh, I really am in listening a lot more to modern folk. Uh, so Glenn Has uh, Hasgard uh, and Damien Rice—they're uh, both Irish uh, Irish folk uh, singers. Um, uh, Branches, which is a uh, a Christian folk group, um, uh, and. Uh, uh, and also uh, the Civil Wars. I've been listening to the Civil Wars a lot. Uh, so those, uh, that kind of thing. So that's in the music area. That's that's okay. kind of where I go. So if we were coming to your neck of the woods, where, where would you take us to eat? Where would I take you to eat? Um, uh, probably I would take you to Anawin so you could have some food. Uh, but but if it was more a uh, uh, more restaurant. The, the the thing is, is that right now we're in the middle. Uh, we have a, a house in which we we have a lot of homeless folks uh, who are living with us, and the whole neighborhood is completely gentrified. Just just boom. We were one night one night we were in the middle of the hood, and there were you know, and it, it was familiar. You know, you got the shotguns going across the street. You got the drug dealers. The next morning we woke up and boom, shops everywhere. Just all kinds of things, and so like one, of, and all of a sudden we have one of the most popular, uh, you know, uh, restaurants in town is directly across the street from our door. All of a sudden, you became Portlandia. It, yeah, it was weird. 
It was really weird. Anyway, and so that's Tasty and Stuns. And I kind of like Tasty and Stuns because there's a lot of cream and a lot of bacon. And I I really go for that. <laughs> that's pretty good, but a little I'm, too... I'm guessing they serve tea? Well, they don't serve it exactly the oh, way okay. I like, but it'll, it, it, it'd be okay. But probably if I was, if you came to my place and you say, okay, just take me to someplace you really like, there's a really great uh, pizza place up by the local community college uh, that serves New York pizza. And it's just really amazing, uh, really amazing stuff. It'd either take you there or if you're looking for something exotic, then there's a couple of Ethiopian restaurants that are really excellent uh, in our neighborhood. So that sounds good. Yeah. So kind of wrapping things up, how can people learn more about what you're doing? Where can they find you on the internet? How can they support you? Um, we have a website. Um, it's onawemcc.org. Uh, uh, the, the link of the one that people can actually remember, nowhere to lay his head.org. Uh, that's been disconnected. I'm trying to get that, trying to get that hooked in, but if anyone wants to find us right now, best way is onawem is a n Excuse me. Let's let's do that edit uh, again. Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> gonna try that again. Um, okay. Anyway, so uh, if anybody wants to find us on the web, it's Anoim A uh, A N N is in Nancy A. I'm gonna start all over again. <laughs> Fine. This is. is it, would it be you're easier? gonna listen to this? You're gonna, you gonna listen to this later and say, "Who is, is this it, guy?" Is, is it easier if you just do it with Aleph? Whatever comes. Uh, next. Yeah. Doing <laughs> no, no, no. It's Aleph. Aleph. Don't you know? It's Aleph, Beto, Gimel, Dalet. Hey, remember? Yeah, I learned it from a guy with a Boston accent. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, people with speech impediment shouldn't be teaching language. Um. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> it's okay. All right. So onawemcc.org. A N is in Nancy. A W I M is in Mary. C C dot org got okay it. so that's our that's our website uh and it's got uh it has our our church blog it has uh church art art we have an art room for folks on the street and we a lot of the art in there uh is produced in our church um and then we have uh and then there's uh there's a donation page and uh articles also to help uh churches and non-churches if they want to do something to help the homeless how to do that there's articles there to uh to do that as well if you actually want to contact me you know on face uh, facebook is the best way to get a hold of me facebook is uh, i'm on facebook a lot steve kimes uh, just steve, search i'm the only steve kimes in portland oregon so just type in steve kimes and then the one in Portland, that's going to be me. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't remember my Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows their Twitter names? I mean, you just get on and you get and you just type things Something in. Behind an uh, <laughs> I know Steve Kimes is in there somewhere, but I, anyway, if you typed in Steve Kimes, you could probably find me on Twitter. As long as you're the one in Portland. As long as I'm the one in Portland, right. Um, and... Uh, uh, Oh, where else? Uh, oh, I have blogs. You have how many blogs? Um, I think it's up to 40 now, 40 <laughs> blogs. Now, I just, just to be clear, I do not update all of those blogs. Uh, I, I use blogs like books. So I have a subject and I write on the subject and I can finish a blog and then I'm done with that blog. Um, but, uh, but like I have ongoing blogs right. about theology, about, uh, about the homeless, 
um, movies and movies. Yeah. Yep. Got to have that one. Um, and so, uh, once again, uh, all of my blogs are blogspot. So if you type in again, Steve Kimes, S T E V E K I M as in Mary E S. And, uh, you, if you type in blogspot, you're going to get a number of blogs. All right. Yeah. Good. So, um, anything else you want to say? Anything we need to edit in there that we didn't get asked or talked about? I don't know. It's, it's probably plenty, okay. plenty long for you to work. So with. we've got a, we got a minute and I mean an hour and three minutes. So hour we'll, and three minutes. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll tidy it down to 22 minutes <laughs> plus the full interview available. So. Okay. So are you going to leave the interruptions in oh, too? Oh, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. At least I, in the full edit. Yeah. 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 That's what I mean. The yeah. full edit. I mean, I want to hear, I, I want to listen to it and hear the telephone ring. Yeah. I want to hear the person who came in and, and just decided to enter into the, the conversation. conversation. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's fun. I, thought that was good. I wanted to have this actually out in the hallway <laughs> to get all the ambient sound. <laughs> I think that probably would have been a little too much. Too much ambience. Yeah. Too much ambience. <laughs> So let me stop this.